Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 114. Today I am going to continue the Inspired by the God series, but before I jump into that, I'll get the station news out of the way. If you want to check out my website, feel free to do so. You can find that at www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. You can email me and I might read it, and you can find that email address at huguenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. Actually, I do check my emails. I'm trying to get better about it. Uh, let's see if you wanted to check out Steve's books. He's not on much anymore because our schedules are just wildly different right now. Um, just so you guys know, cause there's, it's like, there's, there's not drama or something. Our schedules are just crazy different and it doesn't really work for us to do the podcast together. We do still see each other and I don't hate him. I miss having him on actually, but you know, he's more of a night shift and I'm more of a day shift. So that makes it hard but please check out his books and you can find them at amazon just search stephen oaks and he's got a bunch of books there uh let's see what else oh i have books at amazon as well you can search my name byron rogers and lightbringer i only have the one you can see my D campaigns at frothnaircut.com i think that's all my show all my station news and that is all in the show notes as well so without further ado, let's get into the topic, which, as I said, is inspired by the gods. And today we're going over Freya. So Freya, of course, is the sister of Frey, uh, the daughter of Njord. She's a Vonic god, yes. So the Aesir, I think I talked about a lot of this yesterday with Frey, but the difference... <laughs> All right, so it's sort of pigeonholing, and I don't want to get into that too much, but kind of the quote-unquote big difference between the Azir gods and the Vonir gods is the Vonic gods are more connected with um, nature and natural thing, where the Azir gods are more connected with uh, intellectual things. Uh, so Freya is the goddess of cats. She's the goddess of fertility to a great extent, but really she's big, a goddess of love and sexuality and stuff like that. Oh, she's also a goddess of safe magic, which is talking to the dead, which is magic that uh, our ancestors did, and it's mostly the women who did that. Um, now, men could do safe magic, and there's a whole thing where Odin maybe did safe magic and then gets made, uh, it gets brought up I think by Loki and the flighting of Loki, where he uh, insults him for doing so, basically. So it was something that was almost, that was primarily done by women. But I don't want to say men can't do it or they it's necessarily only done by women because that wouldn't be true. But it is, for the most part, done by women. The reason as to why... I don't know. That's a good question. Because uh, we have, like, Frigga, who knows the fate of all men. And, obviously, Frigga is a woman. And and then, in the beginning of the Valsapa, we have the that witch giving the um, future of what's going to happen. Obviously, she's also a woman. So, it seems like prophecy was normally handled by women. And I wonder why that is. First of all, I want to make distinct or I want to make very clear my own view that I do not think there is ever a situation where 
something can or cannot be done by men versus women. Anything a woman can do, a man can do. Anything a man can do, a woman can do. We want to be really careful not to fall into these weird sexist ideas where we say something like a feminine a, a feminine quality is caring about people and loving them. And because of that, men don't care about people or love them. And if they do, they're girly men and we should laugh at them. Because that's not true. There are feminine and masculine things. But just because something is feminine doesn't mean that only girls can do it. And just because something's masculine doesn't mean that only men can do it. And I, I don't want to fall into that preconceived, I don't want to fall into that idea because it's really easy to get, it's really easy to become a horrible sexist if you do that. And that's the last thing that I want. And that's something I really like about Austria actually is that it's a religion that has goddesses. And you know, there's a lot of religions that don't because, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why the reason is because they hate women. I don't know. But I don't want to fall into sexism. And I think that's something that is very easy to do. So when I talk about feminine and masculine things, don't equate that with like the gender you were born as. Don't necessarily equate those two things because they're not the same. All men have masculine and feminine qualities. And all women have feminine and masculine qualities. So I just want to make that clear before we fall into uh, territory that I, I don't want to fall into. Okay, but back to what I was talking about. Freya does do safe magic, and which is talking to the dead. So that's that's another interesting thing. And I, I really don't know why uh, it's considered more of a feminine thing to do prophecy and stuff like that. Uh, that's, that's interesting. I don't know why. Maybe it has to do with that. A lot of people would say that feminine things were more about listening and being receptive. And I think if you're doing anything but talking with the dead, then you have to be more receptive and less active. Like, you know, if you're, if you're creating something, that's like an active thing where you are putting your will onto the world. And something like a prophecy or communing with the dead, all of those things are more passive is probably the best word I have for it. That's not a perfect word. Um, it is more about being receptive to the environment around you. So like as humans, we can go into the world and actively change our environment or we can passively perceive and understand our environment. And I think both of them are very necessary. I think that we tend to think that actively changing the environment is the quote unquote better one because we're going out there and we're making the world do what we want it to do. And, and the results are flashy. Like we go out and we make a spaceship and we're like oh look i made a spaceship i don't even have to live on earth anymore look at the thing that i made or you know if you want to do something a little more mundane maybe we go out there and we make a car and now we can get from place to place faster so there's this big obvious thing that we have made and it it solves a problem it fixes a problem and is very obvious like look we have 
bent the world to our whims. Like we wanted the world to be a certain way and we did that. And that's important. And that's sort of what makes humans humans. It's like a big part of what we do that most other animals don't. Yeah, other animals will make small changes and they'll make like nests or whatever. They will make places to live. It's not like they're completely incapable of influencing their environment. But humans specifically make massive changes to our environment. Sometimes that's a good thing. A lot of times that's a bad thing. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. We can do we can change the environment, and that can be detrimental, even to us. So we have to, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. We have to be careful with that. But one big human thing is, like, we can change the world. We can bend the world to our whims and our wills. And, you know, you see it with cities. That's not what this land used to look like, a giant city. You know, that's a good one, obviously, like cars and airplanes and boats, all of those different things. We have obviously significantly changed the landscape. And that's like actively influencing the world. But one that is equally important that I think maybe we forget about sometimes is the ability to passively understand the world that is around us. So when we're passively understanding the world, there's nothing flashy. You know, if you say to me like, oh, I spent three hours meditating yesterday and now I understand the nature of reality or something, you can't you can't prove it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you understand the nature of reality. Or you could say, I've dedicated my life to understanding nature and our place in it, and now I do. And I could be like, no, no, uh-uh, I did. Like, how are you going to prove that? How are you going to prove, or what do you have to show for it? So, okay, you spend all this time understanding your place in nature and understanding why we exist. Okay, what do you have to show for it? Sounds to me like you just wasted your life. I feel like that's what we say. Where that's not fair because... um understanding your place in the world and understanding yourself is actually extremely important if you spend time understanding the world and especially if you spend time understanding yourself you will be happier but most people will still look at you and be like oh well well i made a car what where's your cool thing you know it's very easy if you're doing something active to show the the um to show the results i guess if you're doing something active it's very easy to show the product of your labors whereas if you're doing something passive that's not quite the right right word because passive makes it sound like you're not doing anything like it's not hard it's easy somehow and that's not the case if you're doing something where you are trying to understand the world and how you fit into it that is something that you're not going to have results to show but it's still just as important you know it's the whole idea of like imagine if let's just say enlightenment is a thing i think it is i think that we can understand the world and come to terms with how we fit into the world and be happy through that understanding okay you don't have to believe that but for the sake of argument let's say enlightenment is this is a thing and we can get to a point where we'll be happy with the world and our place in it 
if you if you spend your life trying to reach enlightenment and you achieve that goal you can't prove to anybody that you're enlightened they could just say like no you're not enlightened you're just you're just trying to show that you're right so you're pretending to be happy all the time and like how do i prove that wrong that could actually be the case i mean you could see someone pretending to be happy all the time and pretending to be enlightened just because they want to be cool or because they want to sh- they want to sell that program to you they're like oh i'm super happy i'm always happy it's like oh okay that's great and for 5.99 you could be happy too i have this program you know you don't know why you can't tell if somebody else is happy because we can't do that we can't go inside somebody else's head we can just look at the signals that they're giving us and those signals could be faked pretty easily so you've got this idea that arguably the most important part of life understanding the universe and coming to terms with it and being happy where you fit in the universe the quite possibly the meaning of life that is quite possibly the meaning of life but if you achieve it you're going to have nothing to show other people like you will be now if you achieve it you won't care that you don't have anything to show other people because like you're enlightened and you're at peace and you understand people are the way that they are and you're okay with that so that's a benefit i guess um but i feel like society very much values the active i'm going to go out and change the world attitude more than the passive i'm going to understand the world attitude i don't know if that's the right thing or the wrong thing i don't know if that's good because i feel like when you like actively create something you get a product which is great i don't want to put that down but then you just want to go actively create something else i think there needs to be a balance where yeah we're creating to make our lives better and all of that but also we are taking time to understand how we fit into this world around us like what is what is our place what is our place in the grander scheme of things and you don't get any short-term rewards for that. Like if you make a car, I don't know, this is a dumb example, but if you decide to build a car, okay, let's just say you decide to build a car and let's just say that takes five years. Now that doesn't sound like short-term, that doesn't sound like instant gratification, but it kind of is in the grand scheme of things. Because first, in year one, you've probably got the body put together. I don't know how you make a car. And in year two, you have the motor added. And in year three, I don't know, you have the suspension. So you are seeing progress happen. Like you are physically seeing progress happen. And that is instant gratification. Well, that's at least gratification. And then in five years, which again, in the in the grand scheme of things, five years is not a big deal. Within five years, you have this car and you've got that gratification. Like I made this and you're proud of yourself. And you should be. You did a good job making a car. I couldn't have done that. Good for you. But if you spend five years trying to understand um, the universe and your place in the universe, you don't have anything to show for that. Maybe you're happier or or maybe not maybe you're maybe it takes 5 years to reach the crisis point where you realize everything you used to think was a lie well that makes you feel worse so you know 
also, if you're building your car, you can bring your friends over and be like, hey, look, my car is one quarter of the way built. Isn't that cool? And they'll all say, good job, you. You are a cool guy. And then when your car is completely built, you can drive over in your car and be like, hey, guys, check out what I made. And all your friends will be like, oh, wow, you made a car. You sure are a cool person. You don't have that when you're trying to come to terms with reality and how you fit in it. You don't go over to your friends and be like, hey, I'm a little closer to understanding the universe because they're just going to call you pretentious because you're being pretentious. Don't don't do that. Don't be that guy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyway, I think that that like more passive I still don't like the word passive but I feel like that part where you are more about understanding the world around you is really important and we should probably spend more time on I don't know how connected to Freya that actually is but maybe it is a little bit um so something else I wanted to mention about Freya since we're talking about it so into the world, Ragnarok. We have to be ready for that, and we have to, we have to get through that battle, right? And that's where the Einherjar, are. The fallen warriors that Odin collects comes into play. There's a certain amount of fallen warriors who will go to Valhalla and fight in the end of the world, which is Ragnarok. However, Freya also collects an equal number of warriors, and it says that she has first pick i believe and they go to Volksfang, her hall what happens to them well i don't know if it actually i don't think it actually says this in the lore but i think it is maybe implied that perhaps they are necessary for the next world so ragnarok is the end of this world but then you have the birth or rebirth of the next world and is that where the other half comes in? And I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting that Freya gets first pick of the fallen warriors. Um, what does that mean? It means that the end of the world is obviously important and something we need to prepare for, but it means that the future is important too. The future is equally important. Actually, maybe the future is more important because she gets first pick of the warriors, not second pick of the world of of the warriors so i think that's a really interesting thing about freya as well that you think of her as a a, a starting point a new beginning but not not a new beginning like balder because balder actually goes to hell and comes back to lead the new world freya is more like the midwife to the new world she like ushers in the new world because her slain warriors are at least conceivably part of the new world i think that it's interesting that she's got a really big part in the transition from like our current era or our current world and and into the next one and uh, what what that means, I I don't know. I think that's interesting, but I I think it has a lot to do with the whole idea of of rebirth, and I think Freya has a lot to do with the idea of of rebirth. The fact that we die and then we are reborn. So she's connected to death very strongly through Saith magic. She can talk to the dead, but she's also very connected to 
the future through through those fallen warriors I just talked about. So she's sort of a bridge between these two worlds, a bridge between the dead and and the future, I guess, which which I think is I think is interesting and I think that's that's cool. I I think there's a tendency to say like Freya is the goddess of love, which she is and leave it at that and forget about the whole other side of Freya where she has a I don't want to say darker side when we talk with death you always want to say darker and I don't mean dark like evil I mean dark like heavier topic she's got this whole other darker side where she is very much about death necessarily because she's also about rebirth and you can't have rebirth without death so she is a goddess of love and love is very important and I, I can't overemphasize how important love is because obviously love is important and people will will do all sorts of crazy and heroic things for love and they should and I, I'm a hopeless romantic I like it when people love each other deeply I mean I I love my wife very deeply and I think she's the best person in the world. And obviously that's why I married her. And I don't want to say that like love is somehow less important in some weird way. Because that's not true. But what I do want to say is Freya is not just the goddess of love. She is the goddess of love. But she's also the goddess of like this death and rebirth thing. And I also think that death and rebirth is something that that we should probably spend more time thinking about we have as humans and it's totally natural I don't think it's weird but we have an aversion to death we don't like thinking about death we don't like talking about death and even if you put it in the context of well yes you'll die but then you'll be reborn that doesn't make it better um I won't go into the details because it'd be a pretty big spoiler for a game that I really like but you've probably seen this theme in video games or TV where the hero will die, but then somehow they'll be reborn into something else. But that's not a happy ending. You're not like, oh, well, he was reborn, so everything's fine, and I'm not sad. It's, it's, still, it's still sad, because the part of us that died is gone forever we have changed and every time you change what you used to be kind of died and I mean that happens in day-to-day -day life as well as we change the quote-unquote old version of us has died and that's kind of sad and that's kind of that's why we look back and reminisce about this time in our life or that time in our life because that version of us is dead and forever dead they'll never come back and and, and that can be very sad even though the current us is here and that's happy because the current we like the current hopefully we like the current version of ourselves too it's just death can be a very sad thing and a very somber thing and change can be hard to deal with so i think a lot of times we forget about the positive aspects of death and we don't like to think about death in general so when we're talking about a goddess of death among other things, we focus on the other things. We focus on love and sexuality because those are things that are 
enjoyable to think about and to talk about, whereas death, even when it's coupled with rebirth, is something that, you know, maybe a lot of people shy away from. And again, justifiably so, we don't want to die. We're biologically programmed to not want to die. We're also biologically programmed to die, though, so that's part of that thing where we have to be okay with where we are. And that's a, that's a difficult place to get to because you have to simultaneously say, I am glad to be alive, I love my life, I want to continue living, but also I'm okay if I die. And it seems almost contradictory when you first look at it. You're like, well, if you want to live, then you necessarily don't want to die. So it's a hard place to get where you can say, like, I'm happy with my life and I want to continue living, but I'm also okay with dying. That's like, that's a lot of stuff to think about and be okay with. So I feel like when we simplify Freya, we just say she's a goddess of love and sexuality because those are topics that are not uncomfortable for most people. Anyway, I just wanted to say that the whole like death and rebirth thing is also there, which comes from the fact that the Lord does say that she does saith magic and then of course the whole fact that she's got the other half of the of the fallen warriors in Volksvang. So I guess I'm going to end it there. Um, I think it's really important to think about death and rebirth and how that makes us feel and if we're okay. I don't know the age of everybody listening to this. You know, I'm old-ish. I'm not super old. Middle-aged? Anyway, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna die tomorrow. Hopefully, I might. You never know. But I don't plan to die anytime soon. But thinking about death for someone who's 20 versus someone who's 80 is a very different thought experiment. Because the older person knows that they really are gonna die soon, and it's it's easy when you're 20 to say like, I'm okay with dying. I, uh, I, I if I die tomorrow, I'm fine with that. I understand it's part of existence. I understand we all die, and that's part of a cosmic cycle, and I embrace that, and I'm okay with it. It's a lot harder to say that if you're 80 or 40 or 50 because it's more real. You really are going to die soon. So saying it means a lot more. But I really do think it's good to spend time thinking about death and coming to terms with it because when you do die... You know, when you're actually on your deathbed, that's not when you want to come to terms with it. That's when you want to say, I knew this was okay, I'm okay with it, and let me say goodbye to my family and make it easier for them. You know, you want to you wanna be able to honestly say, because you can tell when people are lying, you want to honestly be able to say like, hey, family, I love you very much. I'm okay with this. I know that we all die. Don't be sad. Just remember me and remember me in this like positive way and hopefully you've got your full mental faculties when that happens I I know that's probably rare more often than not you don't but if you do if you're lucky enough to be in that case where you can have that conversation you want to be able to be happy and positive when you say that so anyway I think there's a lot you understand about life when you think about death. So I think all that stuff's important. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. I hope everybody got something out of this. And 
I'll do the wrap up. Okay, so if you want to check out my website, feel free to do so. That is at huginhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. And I would subscribe to the RSS feed because I never put these out on exactly the first. It's always a day or a week or two weeks or it's always some random amount of time because I'm terrible at remembering stuff. So apologies for that. But if you put it in a podcatcher with the RSS feed, it just it just shows up when it's ready then you can listen to it so the rss is on the website on the podcast page and you could also send me emails at hugenhoffpodcast.gmail.com thank you everyone so much for listening and i will talk to you next month for all hell